Hi, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. This is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations, and we have a packed show for you today. We have both um, cool, fun things to talk about, but also very serious things to talk about. And I think we'll get started with the serious and uh, work into um, the more celebratory um, elements of the show, which includes all kinds of new art stuff in Araby and... A real honor for Loyola and their leadership in the mass communications department. That's kind of a part of what we'll talk about. But um, first, we're going to talk really about a problem that, um, thankfully, the Covenant House leadership, and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself because I don't recall your exact title, um, is has been really on, and they have been working with the city council on this, and um Changes are about to happen, hopefully, in what has been developing as a really um, shameful situation, basically. Thank you, Jean. I'm Jim Kelly with Covenant House. I'm the executive director. Um, and it's that was a, easy it's a pleasure to be here. Um, yes, I mean, we at Covenant House um, work with at-risk youth. Some are runaways, some are throwaways, many are homeless, and we try to help them put their life together. Um, but what we have found over the years and what was recently reconfirmed by Loyola's Modern Slavery Research Project is that about approximately 87 Covenant House residents per year are survivors of human trafficking. And if you... 87 out of... 87 out of about 600. Increasing, it, that number increases to about 150 residents per year if you also include the sex industry and the strip clubs of New Orleans. So, so that's, that's a high percentage. That's, that's, that's more than one out of five. That's correct. It's about twenty. It's about one out of four kids who walk through our doors have been touched by either human trafficking or the sex industry. And young people trying to survive on the street should not be bought and sold. It's that simple. How does it happen? Why does it happen? No, I, Wait, and, uh, when a, a kid runs away from home or... Is, as you said, uh, you use the expression throwaway, and it would, that was such a uh, terrible... It is. It's uh, an absolutely horrible term. ...term, and I, I want to know more about that because I'm, uh, I think most of us have assumed that the kids that um, land in Covenant House um, are runaways. Right. R- run a, a pure runaway? Probably less than uh, less than 10% of our kids are runaways. Wow. M- most are aging out of foster care because they've come from abuse and neglect. Most are, are, are pushed out or thrown out from dysfunctional families. Uh, many have come out of ju- juvie or OPP. Um, so we're dealing with the most damaged population of young people that exist in New Orleans. And, and people for whom the services are not there. So I often think, what a waste to have kids in prison when here you have an opportunity, you have them, in a sense, captured. They have to serve some kind of time. Why wouldn't that be time that they would be educated and and given some guidance as to how they can develop their lives? Uh, it, it's such a, a missed opportunity. And, and worse than a missed opportunity, it is it is taking things in the wrong direction instead of the right direction. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we've got a, 
a long, long way to go when it comes to juvenile uh, justice and uh, to the whole criminal justice system. I mean, we there's a reason we, we lock up more people than anywhere else in the world, as you and I both know, and it's just ludicrous. And, and sometimes our young people are are, are are victims to that, meaning their fathers are in jail, you know, or their family has been broken apart, or they don't know better and they end up in jail because they steal, they get by. I mean, when you're homeless and you're alone, you've got nowhere else to do, you make by. So, so do you steal? Do you deal drugs? Do you take drugs to self-medicate? Do you sleep with someone in order to have a roof over your head? Do you dance in a strip joint? I mean, there's all different options, and every kid's going to take a different route. Today, we're talking about those who end up in the strip clubs. And what we have found is that strip clubs and, obviously, Bourbon Street are fertile ground for pimps, for drug dealers, for human traffickers. It, it is fertile, fertile ground. It's almost like traps in the forest for, for little critters. That's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. I mean, it, it, we don't enforce the laws in the strip clubs. You know, last fall, there was, a ra- there was a sting operation done by alcohol, tobacco, and control, and they found that nine strip clubs in the French Quarter, there was prostitution, there was drug dealing going on. If that was the restaurant industry, and we said that half of the restaurants in the French Quarter were dealing in drugs and prostitution, or we said half of the hotels in the French Quarter were dealing in drugs and prostitution, there would be public outcry. Law enforcement would be called in. We'd be doing something about this. There was a, there was a blip in the screen. It, it was a couple-of-day story. And then it was like people forgot it happened. Until we were able to pass an ordinance in January with the city council's help to say, if you have to be 21 to drink in a strip club, we think you ought to be 21 to take your clothes off in a strip club. Pretty logical. I think anybody can agree with that. New Orleans is considered a major hub for human sex traveling, trafficking by national law enforcement and human trafficking experts. This is a study that was done, and it's quoted in your material. I, I can't say I'm shocked. Correct. Because, I mean, if you have a Bourbon Street as, in a sense, the core of your tourism, which... I think is is unfortunate, and, I, and and it goes to other issues that I deal with on this show regularly, which has to do with what do we promote and how do we promote it, and we're not doing a good enough job of promoting the, the real culture of the city that we keep saying is what people come here for, but we're not really making it easy for them to know what's out there and where to go, and so they all wind up on Bourbon Street. And when I talk to tourism officials, when I talk to general managers, when I talk to restaurateurs, they all say we are not marketing Bourbon Street. So then who But they're not marketing sufficiently, they're not marketing other things correct. aggressively enough. So it's the default. It's correct. the default place to go. Right. But it, And it, also it's already the brand has been out there for decades. So correct. people just know about it. But it, I think but it, but listen to that brand that we're talking about. There's no more combat zone in Boston. There's no more 42nd Street filled with strip clubs and porno parlors in New York City. Hell, we don't even have Fat City strip clubs anymore. So why are we stuck? Are we just sort of stuck in the past, or have we not started to respect women in a new way? Because obviously we're talking about sexual assault. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about equal wage. We're talking about the percentage of legislatures who are women. 
So this is a this is, is very much an, an issue of the dignity of women, as it is the buying and selling of young vulnerable people. It, it, it's a it's on a certain spot on the spectrum in a sense. What you were just talking about was kind of the higher, more professional levels, and then you go drop down to this level. Here's another statistic in your material. 43% of dancers sold sex at strip clubs. So any illusion that we have that the gals are just dancing is an illusion. Oh, absolutely. And 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 they will tell you that. You know, it, as one young person said to me on Friday afternoon, if you're not prostituting in the clubs, you're prostituting out of the clubs, meaning you're looking for business and you're taking that business elsewhere. But, but that's the sad part. In, in that a study by John Hopkins University found that 50% of the dancers had not been involved in drugs and had not been involved in prostitution before entering into a strip club, before becoming So employed. So the strip club is their portal. That's right. To enter the criminal world and, and, right. and, a, world, and a world that is totally destructive of their that's right. heart, soul, spirit, life. That's everything. You, you're, you're nailing it. It really is, as you said, the heart, the soul, the, the spirit, the spirit of the person. Violent crime rates in Louisville were 12.3 times higher within 500 feet of a sexually oriented business. So that's like another level of it. it, it it's not just um, what's happening to the girls, but uh, it, it goes to violent crime as well. Absolutely. I... I think when you talk to residents of the French Quarter, when you talk to restaurateurs and general managers, areas of the French Quarter, right? One of the thing that is one of the beauties of New Orleans is becoming sleazier, right, and more violent and more crime-ridden, and and I I believe then these businesses that promote, you know, or that attract crime and attract this kind of sleaze should pay for more law enforcement. I know we're under. You know, the, the, the state has huge budget cut issues, and I know the city's trying to recruit more police, but we need more dedicated, coordinated law enforcement in the French Quarter to keep those areas that are targets for increased violence in, in drugs and prostitution. What, what, do the, what, what do the law enforcement officials say to you? Because, I mean, there's already, with the existing laws, a failure to enforce going on much less what you're trying to accomplish now with new regulations. I, I'm, work, I'm working it, Gene. That's the best way I can tell you. I am meeting with law enforcement. I've met with state police folks. I've met with ATC folks. I've met with NOPD. Heck, I've even met, met, worked with Jefferson Parish to learn from them. Um, I, I think there is a, a growing awareness on behalf of law enforcement that they need to do something. Because I think, to be frank, how can you do a sting operation like this in October and, and, and in your nets capture half of the strip clubs in the French Quarter with prostitution and drug dealing? It wasn't on, anyone in, it wasn't on anyone's radar. Or it was just like, it's the strip clubs. We're going to leave right. them alone. We have a tendency to turn our backs right. on unpleasant things that we don't want to deal with. Well, just, me, just again, as we do with young mm-hmm. kids who wind up in jail. I was meeting shouldn't with, be in jail. That's right. I was meeting with folks in March and in enforcement, and I said, are you enforcing the new age restriction? And they said, let me get back to you. And they called and honestly said, no, we have not been checking the age of the dancers. So the city council passes a law 
And 60 days later, it's not even being enforced. When I asked them, are you going into the back rooms? Are you going into the VIP rooms when you do your inspections? Again, a new administration in ATC, but they honestly said no. We had not been going into the VIP rooms. I said, that's where your that's prostitution where and your drug dealing is and taking they place. It. They know it. Right. So I believe under under new management, let us say, at ATC, they to be to give me those honest answers said that we will now step forward and do that. But I think we need a coordinated approach. We need NOPD involved. We need state police involved. They've all got to be working together if we're going to clean it up. The number one issue is that we're not enforcing the existing laws. What can our citizens, the folks who are listening in our audience, what can they do about this? Well, right now, the City Planning Commission has come out with a study. They can contact the City Planning Commission and say, we want to see the French Quarter cleaned up. There's a public hearing next Tuesday from 1.30 till 3.30 in City Council Chambers, and it's going to be talking about a study that the City Planning Commission has done and the recommendations that they are making. So we would love people who care about this issue, who care about young and vulnerable people, who don't want to see people exploited, to come to the City Planning Commission hearing next Tuesday, the 28th, at 1.30. And where can they find more information about this online if they want to? They can go on to the City Planning Commission's website as part of the city, and the report is there, and the recommendations are there, and there's public comment. It's a very, it's a very comprehensive website. I want to say that I think the City Planning Commission really did a good job uh, in this first take, right? I, I think a number of the recommendations make a lot of sense, but they are about zoning and ordinances. They can only recommend what's within their purview. Uh, there are other things that we need to do from a law enforcement perspective, from a public health perspective, from a fair labor, because even the older women who dance so often are not employees, do not have benefits. They're treated as contract labor. They have to share a cut of their tips all things that are illegal under fair labor. So if there, if a woman at 25 decides she wants to dance in a strip club, we might disagree. We might want something better for her. But if she makes that choice, then she should be treated with dignity. She shouldn't be sexually harassed. She shouldn't have to be in a crime-ridden environment. And she should be paid a fair wage and have real benefits. Thank you so much for what you're doing on this. And um, I urge you all, it really makes a difference when people turn out to the city council chambers. I can tell you, having covered the city council for many years and, and being a part of audiences on occasion, fighting for various issues, it makes a big difference. So next Thursday, the 28th. Next Tuesday. Tuesday? Okay, the 28th. Sorry, I thought you said Thursday. Next Tuesday, one thirty to 3.30, they are going to be dealing with this issue in city council chambers. So please come. Thank you, and keep me informed. Thank you, Jean. And uh, as we go forward, I'd like to stay on the story. That'd be great. Thank um, you I so think much. That, that's one of the most important things, y'all, that we can do is, is stay on these things because it's one thing to talk for a flash, but it's another thing to really keep up on. My um, next guests on the line, I, I'm going to take Chris Haynes first if I can, and um, I'm going to ask Mitchell to hold on for a minute since Chris called in first. 
Um, Chris, are you there? Yes, ma'am. How are you? I'm good. So um, I'm very excited about what's coming up this Saturday. This is, um, I know, a dream of, of many people. And um, the Miro Foundation has been incredibly important in making this a reality, making it come to fore. And um, we're going to talk to Mitchell in just a minute on the details of the event that's happening this Saturday, which is a great, big, fabulous grand opening of the Studio Araby. But I wanted to start with you because I really think it's so important that somebody steps up to make this feasible. And I want you to tell me how you did that and why. Well, um, you know, we've been working together for two or three years. Um, you're familiar with what our, our mission is. Basically, if you boil down our mission statement, it's to improve the quality of life in St. Bernard and um, by making it a destination and more livable and all those good things. i got to ask you to stop for a minute, and I'm going to ask you to pause back on a different phone line uh, because we're having some technical problems with your... Um, phone call, and I'm not sure whether it's on your end or our end, but if you can call back in, I think it's going to be better, and I'll probably go ahead and take Mitchell for a minute, and then Angie back in, so give me about five minutes before you call back in, okay? Very good. I'm sorry about uh, this. I'm not sure what's going on. Hopefully it won't happen on Mitchell's line. All right, great. All right. So, um, Mitchell. Hey, James. Okay. We had, um, I took Chris first because he called in first. But um, his line was, um, uh, there's some technical with it, so I'm going to jump back from this, the discussion of why and how the Miro Foundation helped to make this happen and, okay. and more to what is happening and what's happening on Saturday. Gotcha. Yeah, so, we're, uh, Gene, you there? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're, uh, hey, thanks for having us, by the way. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, we're uh, opening up a 9,500-square-foot studio that uh, was developed in partnership between Studio Arby LLC, which is Erica Larkin-Godet and Mitchell-Godet, uh, kind of uh, build-your-own-art-environment community, uh, uh, LLC, uh, and in partnership and would have never happened without uh, complete support by the Miro Foundation which is a group of uh, very like-minded people uh, wanting to do improve the quality of life for everyone in St. Bernard Parish and the surrounding areas. So the studio space uh, is uh, 12, 12 spaces, of which 10 artists rent. Some people have more than one space, and it varies with painters, woodworkers, sculptors, glass blowers, fashion photographers, and it's, uh, it's kind of like what we had created a long time ago uh, in Bywater at the old studio Inferno, and but this is a real active community of uh, a huge demographics of uh, the way people work, ages, uh, and uh, but but like-minded in, in in you know improving the culture economy in an area that hasn't seen a lot of development with this like what we do, what we bring. Well, it takes a lot of vision to bring the art scene. All the way from really the heart and soul of it is starts on Julia Street and in the uh, arts district in the CBD with the CAC and the Ogden and Julia Street um, down to St. Claude and, and in through, you know, the Bywater area. But now going even further into Araby, which a lot of people don't know this, but Araby actually was once a part of New Orleans. And I don't know the history as to why 
it kind of um, you know moved its boundary and became a part of St. Bernard, but it is literally jammed right up against the Ninth Ward and really was a part of it at one point. So it's not all that far down there. Right. I mean, you know, it's I mean, both me and you are young enough to remember when Julia Street was an absolute wasteland, you know, and there was really nothing going on there. And then the same could be said about Bywater just, you know, 20 years ago when, you know, you know, property was almost being thrown at people. And uh, the same opportunity uh, was available for us in Araby. It's just the next step, the ebb and flow of communities in and out of an urban-type environment. And the beginning of, I don't want to say gentrification, but, you know, improvement is led by kind of creative industries and individuals. So this was a huge opportunity in an area like Bywater, like Maroney, like the French Quarter, proximity to the river, uh, really beautiful historical homes, uh, mixed work, and uh, live in uh, opportunities, and uh, and it was just so familiar when uh, I just couldn't afford my own building in Bywater anymore to consider this area. So you had that, you had incredible hungry community for good things, and then you had this foundation that was ready to uh, really assist in this development. So it was very fortuitous, and then 20 years later, I just, you know, me and Erica knew how to do this a lot better and get it done right and uh, and with the support uh, and encouragement, like I said, of, of, you know, the Miro Foundation community just made things a lot easier. And we're literally less than five miles from the French border, and I'm less than two miles from my own location. So it is Herculean to cross the bridge at times and the Press Street Railroad tracks. But it's, we, we're going to make it worth your while to get down here. Tell me, tell me what you got going on Saturday. Thanks, Gene. So Saturday from 5 to 10 p.m., we're opening up the building. So it's not only, you know, we've got 10 artists that will open up their studio spaces, and some of them are pretty private. So this is a great opportunity. We're also going to allow a sneak preview of the Valiant Theater and Lounge, which is a, a great space that will be the, the new location for Shadowbox Marquet Theater performing arts space, and we're going to do a lounge that supports it. It's going to be a kind of a high-end, really cool, chic lounge that uh, has no smoking, no video poker, no TVs. You know, you have to pay attention to each other. And then Studio Inferno will be open with an exhibition of my work as well. So there's a lot to do, as well as working with the other restaurants and, uh, you know, places around Old Araby. And in front of the studio, we're going to have two kind of resource tents that has the Tourist Commission, uh, your organization, the River House with Sidney Torres, and, you know, you've helped put together uh, other artists, you know, small little groups of food vendors and stuff, just to say this is what's available in Araby. So it's going to be kind of like a little mini festival that celebrates the cultural economy of Araby. It sounds like a sensational day, and then once the the uh, give me the hours, by the way, because I was a little bit confused of that. It's kind of a I, long day, right? Well, you know, listen, we're gonna, you know, most things will be, you know, people will be available pretty much from noon till 10 p.m. But the festivities really start from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. Saturday, this coming Saturday, you know, at 6707 St. Claude will be the, the basis of it. But that whole two block, uh, the 6600 to 6700 block of St. Claude will be rolling. It, uh, and, and, and rolling indeed is what it sounds like. 
Um, uh, so I, I hope that it's a it's a blast, and and uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, checking in because also I mean uh, the work in your studio, as you know, I'm crazy about it, uh, the the current your current show. So I think that's definite stop, uh, not just the studio Araby, but the studio Inferno itself is uh, is worth it. And I understand there's going to be some food trucks and some. Uh, uh, local beer, so I mean, you know, if you want a Saturday night out and have a lot of fun, um, you got it. Yeah, this is a, will be a great introduction to, to what Old Arby has hidden, you know, in its in its small little, pretty much seven block area. You know, with the forty open beer, like you mentioned, in the rear window, we'll have a little food venue there, as well as kitchen table. Stella Maris will have a little thing, flower power. I mean, it's going to be a really great, like you could, in just this one little area, you can see what this whole area has to offer. I will see you, and I hope uh, lots of other folks will come by on Saturday, and um, and then we'll check in and find out what the future plans are and keep us informed, and we'll put it in our newsletter and make sure people get out there. Thank you, Mitchell, for everything you do. Oh, thank you so much, Gene. Thanks for your support as well. All Jean. right. I'm going to catch up with Chris now. Thank you. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jean. How are you? Good. Were you able to hear uh, some of the conversation with Mitchell? I was. Good. Excellent. So um, we covered some good territory, but uh, I'm still um, really fascinated and, and learning a little bit more every few months about what the Miro Foundation does. And, of course, I've been enjoying the spots that I've been seeing on, on television um, that you've been doing with the Historic New Orleans Collection in, in conjunction with the Tricentennial is just one of the other things you do. But I know that St. Bernard is at the heart and soul of your mission and, and what you're trying to accomplish. And I was really fascinated when you took on the idea of the Studio Araby and developing the Araby neighborhood in general. So um, give me some context. Tell me how that fits in with the rest of what you're trying to accomplish. Well, the timing was just exactly perfect for this. Um, we're borrowing from creative placemaking approaches like uh, in Arnoville, where they create an artist colony and then um, when you when we hook up with people like Mitchell and Erica, they they know more about the artist scene than what we do, but um, to enable that to happen in our area is, is really just been a great partnership to, uh, to enhance the livability of the area. So tell me. So again, uh, fill me in on kind of uh, some of the other things that the Miro Foundation is interested in and trying to accomplish, and so I can see how this relates to the bigger picture for you. Well, like I was saying before, if you boil down our mission statement, it's basically to improve the quality of life in Saint Bernard. So um, we we tackle that with many approaches, but we're uh, we're a land rich. Uh, foundation that tries to put our assets into commerce, uh, producing a passive income that allows us to do good work by um, investing in the Council on Aging folks and the programming that they do and uh, gap filling when the budget of the state doesn't meet the needs of the elderly. And we also do outreach with lots and lots of school programs, uh, specifically the uh, cultural arts. Uh, we do our biggest program is our ongoing scholarships where we do uh, 50 academic scholarships, six vocational scholarships, and four artistic scholarships each year um, that allow students to pursue their their dreams and pathways into the workforce and, and
and hopefully some of them will come and help St. Bernard become the booming economy that we can be again. Chris, are you uh, a long-term resident of St. Bernard yourself? I moved uh, to St. Bernard in 2001. Um, Almost in with, time for the for the big storm, right? Yes, we got to experience that. So that gives me a little bit of credibility. And um, um, my whole family is here. So on, on our board, I, I work with my mom, my stepdad, my brother, myself, and Sydney Torres III. And we really have accomplished uh, a bulk of our visions in the last four or five years that really come to fruition to, to make a difference in the community. And it, it feels good. I'm blessed to have this job. Whoops. Sorry about that. Um, I, and and uh, what's your feeling about, um, let's say, uh, let's look at a sort of a progress uh, spectrum. And, and uh, I know that there have been enormous challenges because of really um, a lot of the climate change issues and, and the storm issues and, of course, BP didn't help matters either. So, so you're up against a lot of obstacles, but there is such a sort of profound commitment and love uh, for the, the parish on the part of so many people who have lived there longer term and, and newer arrivals like yourself. What is it that you feel is, is so important uh, that you that you that your organization and that you personally are committed to trying to really take things forward. Well, I mean, the the real reason we do what we do and um, is because of my great aunt Arlene's wishes. I mean, uh, she was left all of this estate that um, had lots of assets, and um, it it wasn't easy for her. But I think that. She really wanted to put it back into the community to build it as a better, a better place. And um, you know, first and foremost, it's our bylaws that tell us that we need to improve St. Bernard. But the tenacity and the resiliency of the people uh, make it a pleasure. And um, we've really been welcomed, you know, as, as outsiders from the community. We've really been welcomed into the fold, and um, it's very rewarding to give back and and help the community strive and. You know, we're not doing just stuff in Araby. You know, we're we're really seeing it spread throughout the whole community. Um, what what you and uh, Sydney have going down at the Crevasse 22 is just building on the momentum of all the good things happening in St. Bernard. Hello. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I thought I lost you for a minute. Um, so, so Chris, it, it, why studios? Why Studio Araby in particular? Why that kind of a project? They they had created an arts and culture district um, maybe maybe just two years ago, and um, when you entered the parish, one of our one of our main goals was to really dress up the entrances to the parish to have a sense of arrival. Um, we just donated fourteen acres on uh, Paris Road for a new school that Doris O'Shea's very busily building on um, Paris Road, a new elementary school. Uh, we donated some land for a new uh, substation that Sheriff Pullman built. So um, Paris Road is starting to really come together as an entrance. Um, the Arts and Culture District was a great idea. I, I think we heard some naysayers saying, well, it's nice on paper, but let's see if something happens. And we had the opportunity to purchase this two-block stretch and really spark it 
we don't know how to do the artist part of it, but um, Mitchell and Erica certainly do, and it it lent uh, it lent itself to um, really dressing up the entrance and and the whole vibe of uh, Araby. Well, I love that idea of really making the gateway um, more visible and welcoming and and, and culturally rich. And uh, I I really congratulate your organization because, quite frankly, it isn't every foundation or civic organization or business organization that truly appreciates and understands the arts and is willing to um, support them and engage in them. And so... Um, I'm 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 quite frankly blown away by the level of commitment and interest in the arts in St. Bernard Parish on on many levels. You know, obviously with with Sydney's commitment, um, with with what Mitchell is doing and what you all are doing, and and hopefully the film uh, industry um, has a foothold, and I'm hoping that that will develop into a great big giant foot, fo- foothold. So. Um, it's not impossible to envision a future where the creative industries in St. Bernard are really a very strong segment of your your economic future. So I thank you as somebody who is committed to the arts for what you're doing and and, um, congratulate you on this grand opening on Saturday. And I hope you'll be there too, won't you? Absolutely, Jean. I really appreciate you promoting it. Look forward to seeing you there too. Have a great day. Thank you, Chris, so much for being with us. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. All right, folks. So um, uh, I, I hope that uh, – let's see, make sure that we uh, – okay. Um, so, you know, we are um, uh, approaching um, uh, the new school year in just a little over a month, and um, I'm very proud also to congratulate – uh, the new um, uh, president-elect of the Association of Schools of Journalism and Mass Communication, our own Sonia Douay, who is a Ph.D. and a director of the prize-winning School of Mass Communications at Loyola University in New Orleans. Um, I also have a wonderful young woman named Bobby Semple on the phone, and um I'm just going to let uh, Bobby know that uh, we're going to take her in just a few minutes. We're running... Um, a little bit slower on the show because we had a, a, a little bit richer first part of the program. So um, I hope you can hear, uh, Bobby, and once uh, we take you, though, be sure and turn your radio down, okay? All right, sounds good. All right, so um, Sonia, um, what fascinates me, uh, uh, um, congratulations Thank on you. your... Thank you so much. ...on your status, and I, not just for you, but for Loyola and also for New Orleans. I mean, that's that's really quite an honor to be chosen to be head of a national organization in the profession that you represent. But it, it really is symbolic, and it's symbolic of, of a commitment that Loyola has made for, like, generations, really. I don't know how long, but ever since I've lived in New Orleans, whenever anybody talks about education... In, in communications on so many different levels, it's always Loyola, Loyola, Loyola. First of all, how did that come to be in the first place? Where did that level of commitment come that an institution would decide that 
mass communications was going to be a major part of its priorities. You know, I think it's truly in the foundation of what a Jesuit university is all about. And of course, being a Jesuit university, it means we care for the entire person. And that means that we make sure that we create leaders and critical thinkers and entrepreneurial spirits. And that's what makes people really do terrific in their jobs. Loyola has had a commitment for its more than 100-year history to mass communications. Is that right? From almost the very beginning, then, it had to be. The School of Mass Communication is actually a little more than 75 years old, and, of course, the university being more than 100 years old. Wow. It's it's really interesting. And you used to have, and I don't know that you still do, but you actually had your own television studio at one point in history. We certainly did, and so much of our history has WWL television and radio were both birthed at Loyola University. How fabulous. And we continue to have wonderful partnerships with WWL television. And, of course, we have an entire Loyola News Service now, and we work with newspapers here as well as television stations in the community. And certainly our internship programs, our experiential learning for our students, it crosses all boundaries of journalism, public relations, and advertising, and that's what we teach in our school today. And, and just a, a footnote to um, you know your, your birthing of WWL. WWL's local news has uh, one of the largest uh, television audiences of any city in America, so it, it has been a success story from way back, and I have no doubt that Loyola's birthing of it was was a part of that. And so many of your students actually went on to become a part of of the station, so I know that that was um, a direct line. Exactly. There. The uh, news director today is a Loyola grad, oh, the executive right? producer and executive grad, uh, School of Mass Communication grad. The general manager is a Loyola graduate. Wow. But, of course, I can go to the other local stations and tout the number of anchors. Uh, the uh, general manager over at Fox 8 is a Loyola School of Mass Communication grad. So we are so proud of all of our graduates in the School of mass communication, and they are not only making an impact here in the New Orleans area, but across the world. We have a student, Tom Yamas, who if you watch the ABC Network News at 5.30 on Sunday, it's Tom, a very recent grad. I'll go to Michael Smith on ESPN. So across the country, and of course we have folks who own their own advertising and public relations firms across the United States who are truly, truly making a difference in the mass communications world and in the world. What, what is it about your program that um, has spawned so much uh, participation in the, in the leadership, really, of, of, the, of the mass communications world? What, what, is it, what, is it, what are you all doing? What's, what's the magic? You know, our mission statement is not just to produce practitioners, but it is to produce leaders in the industry. We want folks to be a part of this evolution that's happening with all of the innovation in technology today. And we teach people to become critical thinkers. If you can think critically... The answer may not be here today, but you can help to figure out that answer. And again, that Jesuit education of the entire person, this is 
about the whole individual, not just what you learn from a textbook. And, of course, the experiential learning, when people are actually in the field doing internships, that's a requirement by all our students. Some of our students take three or more internships, so they're getting that professional experience. This is a good point for me to bring uh, Bobby Semple in. Bobby Semple is a student at American University in um, uh, I'm going to get this not quite right because I know she corrected me earlier today, but uh, it's, the, it's not mass communication. Your program is called Communication. Bobby? Did I lose Language you? Language and communication media, yeah. Communication and um, and what media? And just foreign language and communication media. Okay, communication media. So yeah. um, and I know that um, in your case, uh, internships have been a big part of what you're doing and, and your approach to getting educated in mass communication. So um, I, I want to just hear from your perspective what participating in those inter- internships has meant for you. Yeah, um, as actually you mentioned before, a lot of my education thus far has been outside of the classroom. So in my two internships that I've held so far, um, I've learned easily just as much as um, what I've learned in my, um, in my classes so far in PR. Um, and I also just think that um, professional experience, um, once you graduate, is invaluable. And I can't imagine, you know, trying to enter the professional world once I graduate in a couple of years without any, um, without any professional experience. So, and, and here's the curious thing that I have, and I want to throw this out to both of you, to um, Sonia and to Bobby. Um, you know, the, the, the world of communications is is not changing. It's not an evolution. It is a very, very dramatic revolution. It is changing literally on an almost weekly basis. And so it, what a challenge it is to try to teach young people how to deal with this new world, and then what a challenge it is for uh, students like Bobby to figure out what they really, what the tools are, what's the toolkit that they really need to, to progress through this. You asked about some of the secrets to success, and so much of that is about a great team that I have in place. I have faculty who have professional experience and also have the academic background, and also the flexibility of my faculty to change our curriculum as we see fit, and the support of the university to allow us to do that. When social media became a part of the stage. We had a social media strategies class. We're teaching the latest tools. We're teaching the analytics. So you always have to be a couple of steps in front of industry. And that's challenging, very challenging. But you must do that in education today because we want to make sure our students are so prepared. When they leave Loyola, Jean, our students all are armed with a digital portfolio, and it is filled with all of the work they have done for their four years on campus or off campus as well. So it's very, very important. But let me also add that our curriculum is based on a liberal arts foundation. Again, that's what helps our students to be worldly and to be critical thinkers. So then they can be great storytellers because they know so much about the world. It it sounds great, but I have to tell you that I, I... when, when Bobby, who is um, for trans, uh, uh, to be uh, completely transparent here, is my granddaughter, told me that she was going into public relations, I kind of like wobbled my head a little bit thinking, uh-huh. 
I, I was on my way out of it because I'm so intimidated by the breadth of, of social media and where I used to be able to, you know, write my press release, interview my client, write my press release, put it out, make a few phone calls, produce an event. And that was a lot of work. But then my, my job was done. Now I feel like your job is never done. But I bet, Bobby, and I'll ask you this, you know, these folks are digital natives. They've grown up with digital tools and technology. So to ask a student to Put your story on uh, Facebook Live, for example, or to have your show on Facebook Live. Then, of course, that's so very exciting. And these digital natives, it is just second nature to them. Bobby, would you second that? Yeah, yeah. Hello? Would would, would you – do you confirm basically what Sonia was just saying? Are you – Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, hello? Um. Absolutely. I think that um, it comes as second nature to my generation being on social media all the time and being in tune all the time. That's why, you know, as intimidated as I Hello. am by the Yeah, I'm holding on. I'm trying to get all I need about three minutes. I'm so sorry. We're having some interference. Apparently, AT&T, um, I'm told, is working on the phone line. So they're, they're really messing up big time and messing up our broadcast, I just want to say. Um, I hope that, uh, Bobby, you can still hear us. We can still hear you. So keep going even if you hear some interference. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, what I was saying, I just I feel tuned in all the time. So I feel like while I am well aware now that I'm entering an industry that is 24-7 and that really does never end, that's um, pretty much what I've been introduced to ever since I was, I think, 12 or 13. It's been social media all the time. It's been, you know, news coming at me from every angle all the time. So um, as intimidating as it is, I think it'll, it's something that is, will be a little easier for my generation to ease into once they enter the professional world. You know, I, I can't help but think of the um, commercial. There's, I forget who the company is, but it's a very funny commercial where the grandparents are welcoming their kids to their home. And they say, hey, we're so happy to see you. And then they hand over uh, an armful of computer equipment says, none of this works. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, again, about how um, intimidated um, really not all of us, but many of us are in, in dealing with this. And I understand what you're saying about a, 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 uh, having grown up with it. So what I, I imagine sometimes is the teachers in, in these classes must be in part learning from the kids. Well, I have a great team of faculty, Gina, I have to tell you, and they are cutting edge all around. And, and they are just very, very, very smart people. And I'm very, very fortunate and blessed to have that. Yeah. But Bobby, tell me the truth. Aren't there some times in the classroom when you, the students, are telling the teacher about how something works? Tell me the truth. I mean, it's so interesting because there are so many new social media apps starting up every single day. So, I mean, whereas I have learned a lot from my professors about how to use Facebook for a business or Twitter for a business or something like that, you know, apps like Snapchat and Vine and other apps that are newer and are, you know, developing daily, um, I've definitely helped from my end for sure, yeah. So tell me what what it is you, you started to say there a little bit about what you do get from the teachers that um, is not about the latest app. What, what, what is it that you're getting from your, your classroom experience that's so important for you? 
Um, in terms of social media specifically? No, in, in general, in terms of, of shaping your career and your business aptitude. And as, as um, Sonia's been saying, your leadership uh, qualities. Yeah, um, for sure. My So I had one professor this semester, actually, my intro to PR, Professor Richard Stack, um, was really, I think, the biggest part of his curriculum that changed me was he had guest speakers come in from all different PR fields. So as much as he was teaching the curriculum and, and we were going over um, terms and theories with him, it was when he brought in people from crisis PR and people in, you know, in different fields of the communication world that really helped me and has shaped my, you know, what I want to do in my career so far. So it's not only the professors sharing their points of view, which is a really big part of the curriculum at AU is the professors sharing their stories and where they've come from, because a lot of them have professional backgrounds as well. Um, But it's them bringing in different points of view because everyone, um, you know, in the communications industry has... Um, a different point of view and a different background and where they're coming mm-hmm. from professionally. So I think that's been a huge, a huge part of my education thus far. And, Shane, it's truly such a blend of what we offer students. Loyola New Orleans, our School of Mass Communication, we have two national accreditations. By the way, we're the only school in the state of Louisiana with two national accreditations in journalism and mass communication. And that requires that we do offer a a set amount of liberal arts and sciences and also a limitation on the amount of professional skills because we want to make sure that our students when they graduate, they are worldly and, and those critical thinkers indeed. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And, um, I mean, because it's so close to me, and, and we haven't talked about this, Sonia, but my background is in, is in journalism and public relations, government work, political work. I, I mean, I've been in the communications business for, I guess it's now about 40 years. And, and, and it, does, uh, it, it amazes me that people are still you know, willing to go into it because, you know, quite frankly, I'm still, I have friends who are losing their jobs as papers are closing down. And I had a friend just uh, last night to tell me that she thinks, um, you know, two major papers that are, I read on a regular basis are, are virtually on the, on the doorstep of bankruptcy. And so it, it's, it's a challenge to think about where the job opportunities are going to be. They may not be with a newspaper. They may not be with a traditional public relations agency. So this is something I'm sure that you That's deal right. with also is the whole sort of career implications. Because years ago, Gene, there weren't things such as social media managers in television newsrooms or newspaper newsrooms. And today there are. So there are many, many jobs in our field and they're exciting jobs. And that's what we're preparing our students for, those types of exciting jobs. But there are many, many jobs in our business today, in fact, because of this innovation that we're seeing. Bobby, what, what do you see as, as your career direction? Where, where, if you look down the line, what, what's the, what, are, what are the jobs that you see, let's say, um, when you first graduate and maybe five years after that and five years after that? What, what, what's your trajectory as you see it right now? Um, that's a tough question. Um, to be perfectly honest, it does change a little bit every day. Um, this summer, I'm interning um, for social media and social media marketing for a small organic skincare company. And 
I really do love the work that I'm doing for them. A lot of it is outreach and a lot of it is education. Um, and, you know, the past few summers I've worked at a camp counselor, so, as a camp counselor, so I'm very into that realm of education and helping with children. So I could also see myself working, um, you know, doing some PR at a school or at a summer program for kids or something like that. But definitely a smaller type business. Um, I would rather, I'd like to be hands-on um, as as opposed to working in um, a bigger PR firm. We have to prepare students like Bobby for jobs we don't even know exist today. That, to me, is a sign of a great educational program, to be prepared for the future. And today, you know, Gene, when you were in the business, still, what was that basic foundation? Great writing, great storytelling, and those still hold true. That's the foundation That's of true. journalism and mass communications. Yeah. Certainly, the tools are going to change. It was three-quarter inch tape. Now, students are editing on their laptops. Now, they're doing live shots. Now, they're using their cell phone to tell stories, to do live shots. But the basics of great stories. Storytelling and great writing remain the same. Well, you, you took me back when you said that because I was actually the first reporter in this market and probably in most southern markets to work on videotape. I was the weekend That's producer, right. editor, and we started doing videotape from film. I, I started in film. And that was unbelievable because you had tolerances, if you can imagine this, you and Bobby, of like about anywhere from five to ten seconds in the editing. Yes. You, you would hit the edit button and you didn't know where it was going to land within those seconds. So the tolerances were unbelievable. Right. So from, and, and it was it was a struggle to, to get that stuff on the air at night. From film to tape to now all digital, it truly is amazing to watch. It really is. But, you know, there are other things, too, that we give our students. For example, at Loyola School of Mass Communication, our students all graduate with a certification in ethical leadership. We're one of three schools, journalism and mass comm programs across the country, to offer such a certification. We're so proud of that yeah. because that's so critical yeah. in today's business, really whether you're in public relations, advertising, strategic communication. And it's gotten so much more complicated, too, because it's no longer the case that um, uh, some of the old rules just don't apply. I mean, reporters more and more are editorializing. We just didn't do that in our day. We might be selective in what story we covered, in who we interviewed, the emphasis of a story, but there was there was this rule about balance that uh, is is definitely different. Let's just say different now, and and you really have to. Um, sort of weed your way, weave your way through all of the cable programming and and the um, the loud voices that come across through that, and and still get to the you know stay on the case with the heart of the story. For you, Bobby, which media so far have you found to be the most effective in getting the story across that you're trying to tell? Um, that's a tough one. I think. And maybe a different audience for whatever your purpose is. We find that yeah. often. I think, yeah, I definitely think that's true. I think it really depends on the audience. It's so interesting. You know, the company that I'm working for now, we do a mix. We do a little bit of everything. But we find that, um, you know, the older the older generation looks to email and they look to their Facebook feeds. And I feel like that's still 
in terms of online media, a, a big portion of it is still email and Facebook. As much as we'd like to think it's Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and those other forms of social media, I think they still it still holds to Facebook and email. And again, good writing on all of that. Right, right. You know, that's something that a lot of people talk about, um, uh, how it, it, it's unfortunate that the youth are so glued to their texting and, and, their, and their online um, communications and that they're not talking with each other and so on. And I keep thinking they're developing writing skills that people in our my generation, let's say, um, really never developed. I think as as much in 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 such an intimate, human, um, natural way as the communications that go through the new forms of of online communication. A, a tweet is a great headline. Oh my God! <laughs> a, a presidential election run by tweets. I'm just, it, it is really, it, it, is, it is so mind-boggling. You guys, I'm, I, I'm just really fascinated with this. Um, uh, are, are there any other thoughts that you want to share that I haven't brought out in my questioning? I, we're about out of time, and I just want to get, make sure I've given you a chance to share um, some aspect of what you're doing that you want everybody to well, know Well, I so appreciate you allowing me to come on your show, Jean, and would love to have people visit the school. I give tours all the time. We're working on building a $5 million multimedia facility that we would love to be a major part of New Orleans where New Orleanians could use this service, including a state-of-the-art focus group room. We have our Center for Nonprofit Communications and the Nonprofits in New Orleans should come to get our expertise there in our nonprofit student run agency, and we also have a student run for profit agency. We're going to talk about that offline too. Bobby, a closing line? Um, <laughs> I couldn't quite get that. We had that interference again. Say it one more time. Oh, I go to school at American University in DC, so if you're over there, look me up. All right. Thank you, Bobby, for joining us, and Sonia, so much. It was really interesting as I try to understand this new world. (laughs) This has been Crosstown Conversations. It's Jean Nathan, and I will be back with you next week, same time, Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Take care and enjoy yourselves. Make sure and get out there to Araby this Saturday. Okay, bye-bye.